you have your Bible uh, in front of you, please uh, turn in your scripture to Mark uh, chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, we'll be reading uh, verses 1 through uh, 21, and uh, we won't be looking at this whole passage uh, today, but focusing on Jesus' relationship with the uh, disciples, and then next Lord's Day, uh, we will uh, look at uh, the encounter uh, Jesus has in the midst of this passage uh, with the uh, with the Pharisees. And so Mark chapter 8, this is the ever-living and abiding uh, word of the Lord. In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. They had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him, and he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for help. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you. We have the scripture in abundance uh, in our homes, here in the church building, scripture everywhere. Uh, So, Lord, we pray today that uh, though the scripture be everywhere around us, uh, we pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit, even today, uh, you would graciously uh, write that word within us, uh, in our heart, uh, in the core of our being, Lord, that we would receive the word that we receive, uh, not simply as the words of men, but but as they are indeed, the very words of God. And so knowing they are the very words of God, that we would rejoice, be thankful, and look to the Lord Jesus. Even today, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our, uh, in our home uh, these 
days. Uh, it is uh, car driving lesson time in the home of the Mulkers. Do you remember uh, who taught you how to drive? For me, it was my sister, Patsy. Uh, I have eight sisters. And uh, Patsy taught me how to drive. I learned in a standard uh, manual car. Um, there was no more patient person, I think, in my life besides my mother uh, than my sister, Patsy. She told me uh, or taught me how to play tennis, uh, you know, ball after ball into the net, ball after ball over the fence. Uh, but there she was teaching me how to play. And uh, she taught me how to drive on a backcountry road. Uh, start, stop, you know, whiplash, um, stall. Start, stop, whiplash, stall. Over and over again. Never once, that I remember, did she ever get mad. Never once did she scream at me, as she could have, or tell me, okay, that's it. I've had it. <laughs> Let someone else teach you how to drive. No. Uh, the fact was, I did not yet uh, understand uh, how to drive. I needed, I needed training to know how. Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, has been training his disciples for some time. Uh, they had heard and seen a lot. And we, of course, have seen, uh, with the Gospel of Mark, uh, we have seen a lot, too, as we have been walking with Jesus. And we, too, have heard uh, and seen a lot about Jesus. And we're doing that because uh, we want to get the Gospel right, the good news of Jesus and his kingdom right. We want to hear and see and know and believe and cherish the good news of Jesus. But perhaps, uh, the, perhaps the question of Jesus to his disciples at the end of this passage we just read is also an appropriate question asked of us, having heard and seen so much of Jesus. Do you not yet understand? After all, not only have we had a year of the Gospel of Mark, a year in the Psalms and Leviticus, but for many of us, uh, we have had many years. Many years of Sunday school. Many years of being a student in Sunday school, no doubt. Many years of being a Sunday school teacher. Many years probably of Bible studies, of growth groups. Many years of sermons. <laughs> Morning and evening here at Faith. It is good for us to hear the question of Jesus. Do you not yet understand? It's a good question for us to ask. It's simply saying... Jesus simply saying there, has it, has it really sunk in? Has the penny dropped, as they say? Has the light bulb turned on? Has your heart burned within you? Your affections, have they been kindled? Has your life changed because of all that you've heard and seen? It's a good question to ask. Well, what do we learn from Jesus in this passage about his attitude and posture towards those who may not yet understand? Just two things this morning. First of all, Jesus uh, is the uh, patient bread giver. In those days, when again a great crowd, chapter 8, had gathered and they had nothing to eat, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. 
Now you might be saying to yourself, now wait a minute, this scene seems uh, all too familiar. Well, don't worry, we haven't uh, misplaced ourselves here in the Gospel of Mark and uh, gone back to the same passage we covered a few months ago. Uh, but we have already uh, seen uh, something uh, similar a couple chapters ago in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. When he, that Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he that Jesus answered them, you give them something uh, to eat. So we've seen something very similar before. And because these passages are uh, similar, many uh, Bible uh, critics argue that Mark is just telling the same story twice, uh, describing the same event. And if that were true, um, it would seem there's nothing more for us to learn uh, and we can just move on. Uh, the criticism especially focuses on Mark 8, verse 4, where we read this. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And the critics say, well, how can, how can this be? Two chapters earlier, uh, we had the story where Jesus fed the 5,000 and the disciples were there. So clearly in, in chapter 8, verse 4, um, this is impossible. As one critic put it, the repetition of the question, that is, how, what are we going to do with all these folks in a desolate place? The repetition of the question is, says one critic, psychologically impossible. They can't imagine that the disciples would ask Jesus the same question twice. Because, of course, no follower of Jesus, like you or I, could possibly ask him the same question when he has already answered us once. Just like the child asked a parent uh, only once. And you just, right? Parent, you only need to tell your child once. And they will never ask you the same thing again. Now that's not true. In fact, these accounts uh, vary uh, in detail in, in many ways. The 5,000 were with Jesus for one day. Here, the passage says, 4,000 with Jesus, three days. Uh, the 5,000, Jesus told them to sit down on the green grass. Remember that? The green grass. He's the shepherd. Green grass. Green pasture. No green grass here. Uh, they just sit down. Uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus offers prayer uh, once. Here, there's two prayers. Uh, in the first miracle, there's five loaves and two fish. Here, there's seven loaves, uh, a few small fish. In the first feeding of the 5,000, there's uh, 12 baskets of bread left over. Here, there are seven uh, large baskets left. Uh, the miracles were done uh, with two different people. The first miracle of 5,000 was uh, around Capernaum with mostly Jews. Uh, here, it's 4,000 in the area of Decapolis, which are mostly Gentiles. And more than that, even more telling, uh, our text that we read tells us uh, Jesus refers to the previous miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 as he explains to the disciples uh, why they should have remembered. Remember the 5,000, he says? Remember the 4,000? So clearly these are two different events. Repetition, uh, apparently in the life of Jesus with his disciples, repetition, repetition is the mother of learning for disciples of Jesus. Beyond that, uh, clearly Jesus' goal is that his disciples would grow in 
uh, spiritual understanding, that is, that their faith would be nurtured uh, and strengthened. Uh, Jesus clearly is not above repeating himself or working a similar miracle or teaching us the same lesson. And perhaps you have experienced that in your own life. It feels like the Lord, wait a minute, I think the Lord has taught me this lesson before. But I've forgotten. And he teaches me the same lesson uh, again. And he is oh so patient when that growth is slow. But clearly he wants his disciples to grow in spiritual understanding. But he's oh so patient. But the point to see here is that just as Jesus had compassion on the crowd, whether it was 500 in Capernaum, 4,000 here in the Decapolis, one of the things he was teaching his disciples that he wanted them to grow in was that they needed to have compassion too. He wanted to teach them that whereas they were indeed powerless and helpless in such a situation, Jesus has all power and all authority. Verse 3, and if I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll faint on the way. Some of them have come from far away. Verse 4, and his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? He wanted to teach them that they could look to him to supply their needs, but they could look to him also to the supply of the needs of others. Here's a good question for us. Can you be a follower of Jesus uh, without compassion for others in their need, uh, in their weakness, in their sin, and in their hunger? If you've walked with Jesus through the first eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark, the answer, of course, is no. <laughs> because... The one you believe in, if you believe in Jesus, is the compassionate one. And that's what he's been trying to teach his disciples. Here they are. Some of these folks have come now in Mark 8. They've come from far away. And Jesus is concerned about three days. Whatever food they took, it's run out now. And and Jesus has compassion, again, uh, for the crowd. But the disciples had to have that compassion, too. As one famously put it, Christians are beggars who have found bread telling other beggars where to find bread. Now, the gospel is always from one beggar uh, to another. And that beggar image is, is used specifically because the Bible speaks about the life we have in Christ is, well, the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. And they needed to learn compassion. Whatever crowd they came upon, uh, they needed to have the compassion of the Savior uh, for those who came them. Now, here in Mark 8, this is a more desperate situation than near Capernaum. You remember when the disciples were in Capernaum, they said, well, maybe we can go buy some food for these folks. But here, they're, they're uh, southeast of the Sea of Galilee, east of the Jordan, uh, in the Decapolis. This is, this is wilderness. There's, no, there's no, no acme. There's no shop right where they could get food this time. Uh, so it is a more desperate uh, situation. But again, they had seen his power in the past. And they should have immediately said, Lord, I see the 4,000, been with us three days, nothing to eat. I remember Mark 6, Lord, this is no problem for you. Remember, brothers, one of them could have said, remember, brothers, we've been here, we've been here, we've been here before. (laughs) Was that... I mean, was that an issue for Jesus when we faced this before? No. Jesus, we know, we know you can handle this. We know you can uh, provide. 
Now, of course, the disciples weren't the first or last disciples who were slow to learn. Remember Moses, uh, as he's described in uh, Numbers chapter 11, uh, when the people of uh, God, the people of Israel, are, are complaining uh, for the, the lack of, of food. And uh, they've just been brought through the Red Sea, of course. And uh, Moses actually complains to the Lord and says, Lord, what am I going to do with all these people? How can we, you know, what, what, what can I possibly do? How, are, how can I do anything to rectify this situation? And uh, Moses himself forgets uh, what God has done. And so these disciples were not the first uh, nor the last needing more instruction, more training, um, more patient guidance from the Savior. And so here in Mark, Jesus simply takes the bread and the fish, gives it to his disciples, and they set it and continue to set it before the crowd. The emphasis in the, in the Greek text behind our translation is that he kept, that is, Jesus kept on giving them and they kept on setting. Uh, it's a real wonderful picture there. He kept on giving them the bread and the fish and they kept on setting it uh, before the people. An ongoing thing. Now here's the thing. Imagine you're a disciple and uh, you keep coming back to Jesus to get more. To bring to the crowd. And you keep, and you keep coming back to Jesus. Um, what, what, would, what would you be thinking as you kept coming back to Jesus? And you, you, you bring these baskets all eaten up. You go get some more. And more. And you keep coming back and you think. And you start thinking to yourself, uh-oh. I remember. Why did I ever doubt? Of course, uh, the Lord will provide for all their needs. What might have you been thinking as you went back to Jesus, thinking, oh, I am such a fool. Of course he will provide. What might you have been thinking, especially as Jesus, we find here in Mark 8, never actually rebukes the disciples for their lack of understanding or their lack of faith. Right? Jesus could have said after verse 4, are you kidding me? Two chapters ago, uh, don't you remember what I did? No, he doesn't do that. Uh, what were they thinking? As they go back, yeah, the Lord's providing again. Well, they're probably, they were probably thinking the same thing we think as we see the Lord provide so graciously despite our dullness, despite our doubt, and despite our forgetfulness. That is, He is the patient <coughs> bread giver, and He wants His disciples to, to share in the work, sharing His compassion. When was the last time you shared some food and bread with others? The bread of life. Well, he is patient. He's the patient bread giver. And uh, Jesus is the patient uh, bread giver. Uh, Notice how this passage begins with Jesus' concern. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat called his disciples to him, said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days uh, and have nothing to eat. Now in Mark chapter 6, in the feeding of the 5,000, Mark highlighted the fact of Jesus' compassion being uh, because, remember, they were like sheep uh, without a shepherd. They didn't have someone to guide them or someone to lead them. Jesus is the good, compassionate shepherd. Here... Here, Mark highlights the fact of Jesus' compassion because this crowd who's been with him a long time um, have nothing to eat. 
That will fill them. Should remind us uh, of uh, again of Moses uh, in the wilderness. You remember, I'm sure, this scene again as they have come out uh, out of slavery in Egypt. They've come through the Red Sea. God has done uh, wonderful things. The water has piled up on each side. They've come through uh, on dry land. In chapter 15 of Exodus, they're all singing this beautiful song of Moses and uh, of thanksgiving to the Lord. And the very next passage says this, they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Nothing to eat. They're grumbling. They're complaining. Despite the salvation, the miracle of the Red Sea, Uh, But you know how that story ends? Uh, The Lord doesn't smite them down right where they are. The Bible, or or the Lord says to Moses, uh, I have heard, right? How would you finish that sentence? I've heard, I've heard the grumbling of my people, Israel. How would you finish that sentence? When you just redeemed them out of slavery. I've heard the grumbling of my people, Israel, and I am going to squash them. So I would say, because I'm a sinner. But the Bible says, the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of my people, Israel, and I am going to send food to fill them. I am going to give them what they need. He doesn't strike them down on the spot. He fills them with bread. Moses was the mediator between God and man in the Exodus. And God feeds his People, but now, but now, of course, the Bible says Jesus has come. This is what Jesus will say uh, about himself in John six forty eight. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness; they died. No matter how much manna they got, they all eventually died. But this, that is me, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Eat of it, embrace Jesus, and not die. I am, says Jesus, the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world uh, is my flesh. That's what Jesus says in John 6. So why, why are there two stories of Jesus feeding huge crowds in a miraculous, unexplainable way? Because these miracles, so similar but different, point again and again to the truth that life is found only in and through Jesus. Right? He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Before his death, he broke bread with the disciples, gave it to them. This is my body given for you. And he also said, man shall not live on bread alone, not 
physical bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Spiritual food is necessary. And then Jesus says to these disciples, do you not yet understand this? Life is found only in Jesus, right? The greater Moses, bread that does not spoil, but gives eternal life. Remember the 5,000? How much was left? Whole bunch. The disciples say, remember the 4,000? How much was left? Whole bunch. Don't you yet understand this? <laughs> you can be a professing Christian a long time. You can be a pastor a long time. Or grow up in a Christian home a long time. Or serve in ministry in a church for a long time and still not yet understand it. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You can have great physical health, no carbs, no sugar, exercise daily, eat grass for breakfast, and like it. Um, And still not know the sun and still not have life. You can have all money can buy, mortgage paid, oh, a new car and garage, college degrees, perfect job, retirement all planned, vacation home bought, and yet not have life. Or you can have, the Bible says, the sun. You can understand what Jesus is saying. Faith, hope, love, trust, cherish, and know that you can let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, and yet know that you have all you need for life and godliness through the Son. Do you not yet understand this, says Jesus? Understand what? The compassion of Jesus. The crowd from far away. He doesn't want them to go hungry, said uh, Gregory of Nazianzus, the incarnate Lord who himself was hungry in the desert, is now seen feeding humanity with the bread of life. Understand that. Understand the power of Jesus. Just when exactly does this bread and this fish multiply? As the disciples keep coming back, and yet at the hands of Jesus, the King, the Savior, there's more, and there's more, and there's more. And the sufficiency of Jesus, whether it's in Capernaum or in the Decapolis, Mark, make sure we understand that they all ate, they all ate, and were were satisfied. They were filled through what Jesus provided for them. Whether it's 12 baskets full after feeding 5,000 Jews around Capernaum, he is enough for the 12 tribes of Israel. Or seven baskets full after feeding 4,000 Gentiles in the area of the Decapolis, seven often representing completion as in seven days of the week, whether Jewish or Gentile crowd it doesn't matter. He is enough. 
the compassionate, powerful, sufficient Savior fills all who come to him, hungry and empty, uh, longing to be fed and to find life. And yet Jesus said to the disciples, do you not yet understand this? In other words, friends, it's possible, it's possible, it's possible that familiarity with Jesus, while it may not breed contempt, oh, it can breed at times apathy. Their problem was not lack of knowledge or lack of teaching. They were not ignorant. Um, I'd like to think they would have been able to affirm the confession of faith. Uh, They had Jesus, his life and words right before them. So what was missing then? What did they not yet understand? They had not reflected on, meditated on, acted on, and cherished what they had seen and heard. It was still somehow outside of them. And so they were insensitive and, and dull to it. We could call it a spiritual sluggishness. They had not internalized or experienced the truth of who Jesus really was within. That's why when you come to the letter of Peter in 2 Peter 3, he says a couple of times, I know you know this already, but I'm going to remind you of these things so that I can stir you up. Stir you up to remembrance. That's why the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, you know, if you're lacking, if you find today that you're lacking, um, you know, faith and and, uh, love and uh, self-control and brotherly affection, all these these qualities that flow from faith, he says there in 2 Peter 1, 8, if you find yourself lacking these things in the Christian life, you know what you need to do? He doesn't say work harder. He says, no, friend. He's no, he says, no, friend. You, you become blind uh, to the fact uh, that you have been uh, cleansed from all your sin. You've forgotten, says Peter, the truth of the gospel. That Christ has come to save you, to cleanse you from all your sin within, and to make you free. Do you not yet understand? Let me introduce you as we close. It seems strange to introduce you to somebody as we close, but I'll do it anyway. Let me introduce you to Dr. Voluvan Jebanandam. Dr. Voluvan Jebanandam. He's acknowledged as the best heart transplant surgeon in the world. He has an impressive track record, we're told. Think about this. Having performed over 5,000 cardiac surgeries. 5,000 heart surgeries. That would be doing a heart surgery every day for something like 15 years. He's an expert. Dr. Bluven has conducted over a thousand heart transplants, including involving artificial hearts. And Dr. Bluven achieved a remarkable feat by performing a triple organ transplant twice within a span of 27 hours. He transplanted healthy kidneys and hearts and livers to two different patients within 27 hours. 
Now, you can say you know Dr. Javanandam. Because I just told you about him. You've got some head knowledge about him. You may even go online after worship today and find out more and be convinced that that doctor is the real deal. No question, Dr. Javanandam is the best heart surgeon in the world. But I think you would also agree that to know and be convinced that he's the best is not the same as to seek out Dr. Javanandam and ask him, please operate on me. Open me up. I know. I need a new heart. Create in me a clean heart, said the psalmist, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's the difference, you see. Jesus is the patient bread giver. He's the life giver. And he is the only one who can perform the surgery you and I need. Compassion enough for you. Power enough for you. Sufficient enough for you. Taste and see, friends, that the Lord is good. And you will be able to answer Jesus' final question in this passage. Yes, Jesus, I now understand. I see. I believe. You alone have the words of eternal life. To who else could I turn? May it be so for you. May it be so uh, for me. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this uh, passage of Scripture as we again walk with the Lord Jesus. See his compassion. See his power. And see his patience. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are all... Oh, Oh, so patient with us, teaching us the same things over and over again as we come to the place of worship, as we hear sermons week after week. But, oh, Lord, we pray that by the work of your Holy Spirit, we would not just hear sermons, but we would hear the Savior. And we would know that he's not just the Savior of others, uh, but that he is my Savior that I need a new heart. I need to be fed. I am hungry. I am thirsty. I need the living bread. So, oh Lord, please open me up. Help me to know and to believe with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength that what is revealed about the Lord Jesus Christ is not only for others, but for me. Help us then, Lord, to embrace him today. That we would say, yes, Lord, we now understand. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.